Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Now, our first guest today has written a witty yet personal narrative of his transition from sightedness to blindness and his quest to learn about blindness as a rich culture, all of its... Okie dokie, I'm delighted to welcome to the show Andrew Leland. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm also good, thank you. Um, Now, I was reading about you, you have retinitis pigmentosa. Can you explain what that is? Sure, it's a degenerative retinal disease that works its way from the outside in. So there's two kinds of cells in your retina, rods and cones. And the rods are on the outside and they, they, they're, they're responsible for peripheral vision and dark adaptation. So, uh, most people with RP as teenagers, they start to have trouble seeing in the dark night blindness. And then as the disease progresses, you start to experience tunnel vision. Uh, and so over the course of decades, really, it's like a very slow motion, uh, aperture closing from the outside in. And then eventually not everyone, but most people result in, in total blindness. And when did it start for you? Was it a while ago? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in my 40s now and I first noticed it as a teenager when I first started to be a little more independent as many teenagers are. You know, I was going uh, out into the hillsides. You know, I was living in New Mexico at the time and, and my friends were all really good at picking their way across, you know, roots and stones and trees. And I was just walking right into trees and then confused about why I was so bad at at walking in the dark. And, you know, same thing in movie theaters, you know, just really anxious about getting up to go to the bathroom or get another soda or something until finally those experiences accumulated and night blindness seemed to be getting worse. And I found out that I had RP. It must have been really frightening. I mean, it must have been confusing if you were a teenager, but frightening as well. Can I ask, are you totally blind now, Andrew? Uh, no, to the contrary. I have still about six degrees or about something in the ballpark of five or 6% of uh, what a fully sighted person sees. So it's it's a little confounding. I would say far more than frightening. It's just confusing because, you know, I have this vision that I can use, this, this, this little scrap of central vision, and yet I still go through life functionally as a blind person in terms of using a cane, using assistive technology to use computers, because having that small amount of vision uh, does put one in a different category and a different way of interacting with the world. And is it a bit difficult difficult to live with in the way that you don't know you don't know how long or if you will go totally blind how long you have sightedness left it must be it must be tough it is tough yeah i mean it's tough for that reason the not knowing it's also tough just because people do view blindness as a binary and you know externally i think there's a tremendous amount of emphasis put on when it will happen when i will be fully blind and and the reality is that only about 10 or 15% of blind people have no light perception whatsoever. And so the vast majority of people who are blind have the experience of light perception, whether it's has any acuity or not. And there are people who have the inverse of what I have, a little bit of peripheral vision, but no central vision. And I think it's important to kind of deconstruct those binaries a little bit and not be so fixated on blindness as the absence of sight, even though, you know, it makes sense if you look it up in the dictionary, that's what it means. But the experience of blindness actually can incorporate vision. And that's something that's taken me a long time to wrap my head around. Yeah. Well, I know you're a very curious person and and you've decided to explore not only the physical experience of blindness, but also its language, politics and customs, which I'm guessing fills the book up. So what do you mean by that? Well, 
when you're blind and uh, you know i include having a little bit of sight like myself uh, in that category you do have to do things differently and it does give rise to a different way of of interacting with the world and i think probably if i had to name one custom or you know aspect of blind culture that dominates above all it's this almost being a tinkerer um, or a hacker, even like a, a sort of real engagement with problem solving on a technical level. And when I was first immersing myself in blind culture and blind communities, I was struck by how many people from, you know, 80 year olds to teenagers, no matter what, you know, their interests were, all were really engaged with the internet, with computers, with, with iPhones. And at first I was confused by this, but then I realized if you think about the main problem of blindness, it's really the, the problem of access to information, whether it's a book or a website or a street sign. And so blind people are by necessity hackers, they're tinkerers, they're constantly figuring out workarounds and technical solutions to the problems of inaccessibility. Yeah. And do you think we've come a long way? I mean, I'm thinking back to, to when I was a, a child and, and there was, of course, Braille, which was, was mm-hmm. great at the time. Have times changed? I mean, you mentioned things like signs, road signs. Have governments got their head around this yet or are we still a little bit behind? Well, I have spoken to enough blind people of a certain age to know that this is a wonderful time to be blind in, in terms of world history, in terms of you know, just just taking books as an example, in the past, if you were a student, a blind student at university, you would need to find the money. And often it wouldn't be coming from a government because there were no you know subsidy programs or accommodations. And you basically have to be rich enough to hire somebody to read all your textbooks to you. You know, then maybe we had real to real recording or recording technology and you could get somebody to record them so you could at least listen to them over and over again. Today, more or less any ebook. This is not true of all ebooks, but basically any digital edition of a book you can find, you can make accessible to a blind person. It can be instantly converted to Braille, converted to um, audio, which is which is just a tremendous boon. That being said, the problems of accessibility, uh, you know, all this technology that we have actually increases uh, the problems for blind people as well as giving more opportunities. So an example of that is the internet. The internet should be accessible to anybody with a with a screen reader on their computer and listen to any of the text that's on the website. But people are constantly creating websites that are coded improperly so that a blind person who's going to the website will be stuck without sighted assistance. And that may seem trivial, but if you think about how much of our civic lives are online now, everything from, you know, engaging with COVID numbers to, you know, important government forms to, you know, basic functionality of shopping and navigation, travel, all that stuff uh, can permit, can prevent, uh, sorry, can present tremendous roadblocks to uh, to a person's day to day living. Yeah, not trivial at all, particularly for somebody like you who who is an author and, and needs to do lots of research. Sure. But I would say anyone, really anyone, I think just being a citizen today, you know, originally when print became uh, more and more popular, you know, the cost of citizenship was tied to literacy and the ability to read forms. And I would say that now digital literacy is just as much of a passport to citizenship uh, in in most societies today, uh, and it's certainly in the in the global north. So, yeah, I would say not just my role as an author, but really just being a, a person in the world today requires mm-hmm. that that degree of access. Yeah, I agree. What about smartphones? Are you able to use smartphones? I don't want to overstate the case, but I would say that the iPhone 
is the single greatest invention for blind people, uh, you know, since Braille, perhaps. Ah. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that, you know, at first blind people hated the iPhone uh, because of the touch screen, right? You can't think of anything less tactile friendly. You know, <laughs> blind people love buttons that you can feel. Ah, okay, this is the button I push. And, and, and often touch screens on appliances are the bane still to this day. Like I, I know so many blind people who, you know, they move to a new flat and they're like, oh, wait, everything is a flat touchscreen. I have no idea where the, where I can press, you know, start on the dishwasher or the Cuisinart or the uh, laundry. But, but the thing about the iPhone that's brilliant is that they, they kind of found a workaround for this and every iPhone out of the box is accessible. So you can, uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to buy a special blind version, but you can just turn voiceover on and you have different gestures. So there's different swipes and taps, but you can navigate if the app is coded correctly and every blind person I know almost to a person uh, loves their iPhone and can access a huge swaths of the internet and interact with photos, interact with, um, you know, Facebook and the internet, social media. It's, it's a tremendous boon. Yeah. Apple have got it right. Haven't they? Uh, In many ways. Yes. Yeah. So what about the other side of it? I mean, it's tough for you losing your sight, but what about your loved ones around you? Does your relationship with them change? Uh, indeed, yeah, that was one of the revelations I had, which which sounds obvious saying it in retrospect, but really took some work for me to figure out, which was that they adapt to blindness in in much the same way that I do, and I think for a long time, I had a very self centered view towards what I was going through and just thought of it as something that I was going through alone that nobody understood that I would kind of push away and not have to deal with. And I, I would think about it later. And I, and I began to see the damage that that was doing to my relationships with my loved, my relationships with my loved ones, because they need to understand what it is to be blind in order to, to really be my partner. My, I'm talking particularly of my wife and son and, you know, I can't expect them to do that if I don't do it. So it really became this, motivator for me to figure out my relationship with blindness, how to inhabit it so that in part I could survive it, but also so that they could support me in the way I needed to be supported. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Well, the book's been described um, as, as representing Andrew's determination not to merely survive this transition, but to grow from it, to seek out and revel in that which makes blindness enlightening. For our listeners, you can buy it from our website right now, tre.radio. It's by Andrew Leland and it's called The Country of the Blind, a memoir at the end of sight. And Andrew, do you have your own website as well? Yeah, yeah, it's just my name, andrewleland.org. For some reason, I chose .org. <laughs> Seems like a lot of people are doing that recently, and why not? <laughs> yeah, sure, I'm an organization of, of one out there making it happen. <laughs> Me too. Well, it's been delightful to chat to you. Thanks for being on the show, Andrew. Likewise, appreciate it. Take care, bye-bye. Okay, bye.